the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A major shakeup in the presidential landscape, and then how to best deal with anxiety. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Monday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on a cold, frigid Monday afternoon. It's a big day in my life. I'll share that with you here momentarily, but we are glad that you're with us today. Hope you had a great weekend. Hey, want to get out of the way and share uh, just some uh, some big news for the show, some difficult news, but some big news. And that's that Aubrey, my, my normal co-host, Aubrey Sampson, is no longer going to be a part of the show. Uh, we love Aubrey. I love Aubrey. Let me just speak a couple minutes uh, to Aubrey. She's been my co-host for the past three years, and I am going to miss doing a daily show with Aubrey each week, uh, each day. Uh, Aubrey's got a lot in the fire, as you know, so I would encourage you, go pick up her books. As you know, we talked last week. She has a new book coming out, hopefully later this year. Uh Follow her. Aubrey is always on Instagram and then sometimes Facebook and Twitter. Stay connected with her and uh, would love for you to uh, keep keep in contact with Aubrey. So I'm sad Aubrey's not going to be part of the show anymore. Uh, and uh, But, hey, our friendship runs much deeper than the show, so I'm excited to stay up with Aubrey. And I know that God has amazing things for her. She speaks all over the place. Uh, she writes articles and books, so stay up with Aubrey. All right, so as I said, this weekend uh, has been a cold one. Hopefully all is going well for you. Uh, I'm trying to get over all the football watching that just happened over the weekend. I really, I didn't plan on just kind of sitting down in front of the television, but I was there for a lot of it. Probably the best game of the day yesterday, that Bill's Chiefs game. Uh, but yeah, good times right there. But today is a big day in my own life because today is my 24th wedding anniversary. So today being my 24th wedding anniversary, want to just say uh, happy anniversary and I love you to my wife, Carrie. Uh, I'm sure she's listening right now, but I wish her a happy anniversary. We celebrated it over the weekend going out to dinner and stuff, but it got me thinking because somebody at church asked me now 24 is kind of one of those numbers. Like uh, We're up there. Like We're kind of an older married couple now, even though it seems like just yesterday when we got married. We got married on a cold, snowy January day in Wisconsin in the year 2000, right after the whole Y2K scare. And uh, then I remember we headed off to Antigua. So that was uh, warm and beautiful. But we were just bright-eyed kids, right? We were 22 years old when we got married. And now we've been married for 24 years. We've got three kids. We've had multiple dogs. Like, we've kind of... Uh, we've kind of done it. And somebody asked me yesterday, hey, um, 
What's the key to a lasting marriage? And and I get really tired when people write marriage books and marriage articles after like five years or three years of marriage. No, you got you got to have some skin in the game. You got to be have some length and some depth to this. Uh, 24 years feels like it. Her and I have started talking. What do we do next year for 25 years? But uh, what is the lasting thing? Because what happens is, right, when you're newlyweds, those first couple years, you're kind of in that honeymoon period. Everything's new. Everything's kind of googly eye. Everything is just like that. So, um, but over the years, how do you keep going? read an article recently that the number one growing stage of marriage for divorces is kind of the one that I'm in right now where uh, your kids are out of the house. You're kind of trying to figure out that next stage of life. And a lot of times marriage is just kind of peter out. And I get to do a lot of premarital counseling as a pastor. And one thing I always tell prospective married couples to couples about to get married is this. The wedding day is not the is not the end goal. It's just the start of the race. So how do you get to the end of your marriage race, if you will, uh, running it well, running it through that finish line and running it well? How do you not become one of those couples that after 20 years, 25 years ends up just going Ah, we don't really know each other anymore. Let's uh, let's just separate and go our separate ways. A couple different ideas for that as we're starting. And I just want to challenge you out there. If you're a married couple, how does your marriage look? The things I'm going to describe, are they parts of your marriage? The first is this. I would say this. Uh, big red flag if you don't ever laugh together. If you don't ever play. Right when you're dating, when you're a young married couple as well, uh, you laugh a lot. A lot of uh, you're, you're you're playing, you're going out, you're doing stuff. If if that's no longer a part of your marriage routine, that's a big yellow, if not a red flag. Do you still laugh together? Do you still, when no one else is home, do you still joke around? Do you still like to go out on date nights? That's what, kind of a second one. If you're never going out on dates with your spouse, big yellow flag, big red flag. Uh, whether you've been married five years or 25 years, you still date each other, right? You still need to be reminded that, oh, we're not just roommates. We're not just raising children. There's there's something more in-depth to our marriage. We're still together. We still like being together. So are you still going out on date nights? Are you still laughing? Do you, uh, or you just sit silently? I was at a restaurant the other day, and it was the most unbelievable thing. There was a couple sitting a table over from me and the other people I was meeting with, maybe two tables over. And they were clearly an older couple. And at first you might think this is cute, but then you're like, wait a minute, that was weird. Kind of watching out of the corner of my eye, this couple ate breakfast together at this breakfast place. And literally, I'm not even talking like, I'm not even exaggerating here. They literally didn't say a word to each other the entire time, the entire time. That can't happen. Whether you've been married five years or 35 years, uh, there needs to still be, um, you still need to like each other, right? You still need to like each other. And then I would suggest there also needs to be um, kind of common goals. Like, what are we trying to accomplish 
as a couple. Like, it can't be, well, I'm trying to do this while my wife's trying to do this, and we're running different paths, right? We have our own interests. We have our own jobs. We have our own things. But if if we're not in it for each other, if we're not um, spurring each other on, if we're not each other's sounding board, that's also a problem. And then just to decide this. We're not getting divorced. We're going to work on our marriage, whether that means a weekly date night or a weekly therapy session, a counseling session. We are going to work on our marriage, and we're going to make sure, no matter what, that we get to the end married well and not allow it to peter out. If you're in a bad spot in your marriage right now, let me encourage you to do the hard work. It is hard work, but it is worth it. So, uh, happy anniversary to my wife, 24 years today. Thought I would start there, kind of a big day, but marriages are also a big deal because people are getting divorced, uh, and uh, we got to be careful. I don't want that for you. Well, coming up next, a major shakeup in the presidential election landscape. Want to want to revisit that and then share a quote that I read. Uh, on Twitter, kind of how we as Christians should approach this. Could do that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on a chilly, cold Monday afternoon. A little bit of ice out there, but the warmth is coming. But of course, what we do in Chicago, uh, when we when, when warm comes, so does rain. So uh, enjoy that this week. Uh, I'm going to share in a little while, while this is a big week for my family, uh, going to share that next uh, kind of uh, my my daughter's about to leave and um, all of that stuff. She's about to leave for a semester abroad. My wife's going to go with her for a little bit. So lots going on in my family and uh, going to talk about that here in a little while. But for those of you who are interested in politics, and I guess on some level we're all interested in politics because it affects our lives, a huge shakeup in the Republican Party for president this week uh, just happened yesterday as Florida Governor Ron DeSantis suspends his presidential bid and endorses President Trump. Uh, It says uh, the move comes two days before the primary in, uh, in the state of New Hampshire, where he was projected to fall behind both former President Trump and former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. Kind of Nikki Haley's last shot there. So you're basically down to Donald Trump with a huge lead and Nikki Haley. And so barring some sort of miracle... It's going to be Donald Trump. Nikki Haley staying in, kind of, she's got good numbers in New Hampshire, uh, but those numbers are still um, behind Donald Trump by a lot. So it feels like a fait accompli. It feels like this is what's coming our way. to, To finish the Ron DeSantis thing. Uh, He said, I'm suspending my campaign. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackaged form of warmed over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. So Tim Scott came out and backed Donald Trump. Ron DeSantis does now. It feels like this is what's coming. It's just What's coming? We are going to have, even though we kind of fought it, we said we don't, many of us don't want it. 
It's going to be 80-whatever-year-old uh, uh, Joe Biden against late 70s-year-old Donald Trump. And uh, there's many of us that are not excited about that. So as Christians, what is our posture towards the presidential campaign that's coming up? It's going to get crazy out there. It's going to get um, – yeah, it's just going to get crazy out there. And for us as as Christians who want to be faithful to Jesus but also be good American citizens who are interested in the politics and the well, – how does it affect our lives? It's going to be difficult because, you know, let's just be honest. There's a lot of us that are not excited about either of these two candidates. And I won't speak for a lot. I'll speak for myself. Uh, I am not excited about President Biden. We're going to talk about many of the reasons later on, something he said about abortion this weekend. But I don't like his policies, and he also appears to have cognitive issues, right? Like I, I don't say that to be like, oh, let's pile on. It just seems to be the case, but so does President, former President Trump. He seems to not be uh, at his sharpest, and I've got character issues with President Trump, and a lot of you want to just kind of wave those off. That's fine if you're able to do that. For me, I'm not able to do that. And so when I look at the presumptive two choices— a lot can change between now and November, but when I look at the presumptive two choices, uh, I'm much more inclined to not vote for either of them. Like, neither of them. I want to find a candidate one of these days that spurs on excitement in me, that spurs on I not, oh, I want to hold my nose and vote for that person, but I actually want to vote for that person. I want to encourage my friends and family to vote for that person, and it feels like years since we've had that, at least from my perspective. So what do we do? Uh, Owen Strachan, author of The Warrior Savior, uh, he tweeted this the other day, uh, just yesterday, actually. He wrote, good news. Jesus is not going to be beat in any elections. No one can unseat Jesus from his kingship. Jesus cannot be impeached. Jesus cannot be defeated. Jesus is biding his time until he triumphantly returns. Jesus' gospel is steadily advancing in all our chaos. Bet on Jesus. I just, there's things Owen Strachan, by the way, has written that I have not agreed with. Uh, But this one, I think, is so important. Let me read it again. Strachan writes, good news. Jesus is not going to be beaten any elections. No one can unseat Jesus from his kingship. Jesus cannot be impeached. Jesus cannot be defeated. Jesus is biding his time until he triumphantly returns. Jesus' gospel is steadily advancing in all our chaos. Bet on Jesus. Friends, Jesus, his his kingship and his lordship has endured through the Roman Empire, uh through uh all of all of history here. And so we get to where we're at today, and many of us Christians on a political world can feel uh defeated. We can feel discouraged by the choice before us. Some of you aren't. Some of you 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 couldn't be more excited. But even if that's where you're at, here's what you need to hear today. Jesus is king, not the winner of the election in November. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Jesus will always be on the throne. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that's where we take our marching orders. Jesus is our Lord. And so therefore, 
it's through the lens of Jesus that we make decisions, that we look at the world, of how we treat people and what we believe. It's not uh, through the lens of um, what's the Republican doctrine, what is the Democratic doctrine. Jesus cannot be defeated. The victory has already been won. Now we're living in this already not yet, right? Where we still deal with the brokenness of this world. Sin and death still reign. But Jesus, uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians, uh, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And he proclaims that in Christ we have victory over sin, victory over death. And there is coming a day where the already not yet will be done away with, and Jesus will reign and rule for all of eternity on his throne. So as you watch this presidential season unwind, and as you feel, I don't know what to do, I feel discouraged, or whatever else it might be, um, take heart. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord whether there's a Republican or a Democrat on the throne. Still care, still vote. You're still an American. But don't lose the big picture. Jesus will never be defeated. Jesus will never be off his throne, regardless of what happens going forward. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is and always will be on his throne. And we are called to treat him as such. He is king he is Lord, he is Savior, and it is him that we are following. All right, coming up next, uh, dealing with some anxiety in my life that is only going to ramp up by what's happening in the next week. I'm going to tell you what's happening in my family this week, and then we're going to talk about anxiety. You're going to do that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on a Monday afternoon. Hope that you had a great weekend. I know it was really cold out there. We finally took down our our Christmas stuff. Uh, This is the longest I think we've ever kept it up, and it really wasn't intentional. It was just life gets in the way. But the the fake Christmas tree got packed away. The, The room got put back together. Uh, and, uh, yeah, now on to just winter. So it's going to be a little bit warmer this week, but that doesn't mean any nicer. Uh, but at least it doesn't appear that it's going to be that frigid, frigid, frigid temperatures. But hope that you had a great weekend. Hopefully you spent some time in church yesterday in worshiping with your church community. And now you are kind of into your new week. So glad that you're joining us. So this week is a big week in my house Uh, I told you earlier in the show that today is my 24th wedding anniversary, but that's not even what I'm really talking about. Uh, If you've been with this show at all, you know that my daughter, who's a sophomore at Hope College, uh, my daughter is going to be spending her spring semester abroad. Uh, She is going, uh, it's like her dream. It is her dream. And so... Uh, She is spending her semester abroad, and this coming weekend is when she's leaving. Now, not only is she leaving, uh, but we were able to uh, make a plan so that my wife is going to leave with her. They're going to kind of do a fun mom-daughter trip for a week, and then my my wife will go kind of see her off to where she's going to be studying abroad, and then my wife will be home. So my wife's about to leave for a week or nine days, and my daughter's about to leave for— 
three and a half to four months. Like, it's wild to think, like, after this weekend, the next time I see my daughter uh, will be almost in June. It'll be late, late, late May. And you're like, oh, we're going to be in shorts. It's going to be – it's just wild to think about. This is by far the longest we will be apart. Now, let me say this. I am not – if you got to know me, you would know that I'm not a very – tightly gripped hands-on parent. Like, I I can't, I'll put it this way. I'm over the moon thrilled for my daughter that she gets to do this. As I said, this is kind of like her life dream. My daughter really wants to kind of see the world. She wants to experience stuff like that. She has an adventurer's heart. And I, I, this is really going to uh, fuel that. She She wants to see how the rest of the world works. She wants to, it's really admirable. And I'm thrilled for her to be able to do that. We took her out this weekend and just talked through more of the details. And, like, I, I, she's ready. Like, this is what God has for her. And it's it, she's doing it. And she's living her dream. And I couldn't be more thrilled for her. But there's an on the other hand here. And the on the other hand is being the parent who's sending your child halfway around the world, who's trusting uh, the program that she's going to, who's trusting all of these things. And uh, so much of parenting, especially as your kids get older and more independent, she's a sophomore in college, but even with my sophomore in high school and my freshman in high school, so much of parenting as your children get older is kind of releasing that grip. It's the letting go of what's going on, of having less control. That's really normal. But even though it's normal, it doesn't make it easy. And so if I'm honest, I would say the, the prospect of sending her away is naturally, I think, raising some anxiety in my life. And so there's the question. What do we do when we feel anxious? As Christians, what do we do as we feel nervous, as we feel anxious, as we feel unsure of what's going on around us? What do we do? And I think that's, uh, there's so much in life that brings anxiety to us. You may have lost your job or you could have a job change going. You look at inflation and you look at your bills and you go, I don't know what's going to happen next. Maybe there's something with your child or your marriage, or maybe it's your health or the health of a loved one. There's all sorts of things around us that cause anxiety and nervousness. And the question becomes, what do we do with those things? Like what, what are the strategies, uh, for it. And the Bible has things to say about it. It's what we appreciate about the Bible. That the Bible speaks very clearly to these day-to-day struggles. So Paul writes to the Philippians, do not be anxious about anything. And if the verse ended there, that would be a tough verse because you're like, well, now I feel anxious about being anxious. How can the Bible say, don't be anxious about anything? But there's a reason. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. So it sets up this dichotomy, either be anxious or pray. 
with your anxiety, allow it to draw you and force you to prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And then there's a promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when you're feeling anxious, Paul says, pray. And when you pray, there's a promise. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Are you feeling anxious today? What are you going to do with that anxiety? The answer uh, is pray. There's another verse Peter writes in 1 Peter. I think it's 1 Peter 5, but I might have the exact spot wrong. Uh, Peter writes, cast all your anxiety upon the Lord. Cast all your anxiety upon God. Why? Because he cares for you. That's the verse. Cast all your anxiety upon God because he cares for you. As you're feeling anxious, let me ask you this question. Do you believe the second part of that verse, that he cares for you? Do you even believe that to be true? Cast all your anxiety upon God because he cares for you. If we don't believe that God cares for us and hears our prayers and gives us peace, then we'll just be anxious. We'll just allow it to make us anxious. But if we believe those two verses, it transforms what we do with our anxiety. Cast all your anxiety upon God because he cares for you. Do you believe that God cares for you? Do you believe that prayer works? If so, bring your anxieties upon him. I found this uh, prayer online, and I want to end with this. It says this. Forgive me for being afraid of life circumstances as a result of not trusting you. I know anxiety is the result of preoccupation with the things in life that do not have eternal value. I pray that your spirit will fill me with peace today. I ask that I would not allow fear and anxiety to dominate my life. Pour your peace into my heart and mind as I release the cares of this world and focus on you. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Praying for that for you today. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today on a Monday evening. Hopefully you're making your way back home. You're having a good uh, night ahead of you. We're glad that you're joining us. If you've missed any of our shows, go get the podcast. Wherever it is you get your podcast, just subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, church and posture and all of this. Scott Sauls, hey, we've had on the show, but also, as you know, Scott Sauls just recently, uh, I don't know if he lost his job at his church. He mutually separate. I don't know how it's being post, uh, kind of posited, but Scott Sauls 
uh, he's not in the ministry at the moment. He got kind of sat down for some leadership issues and uh, is not back at the church. And his church down in Tennessee has moved on and we'll wait to see what Scott Sauls ends up doing. And so I give you the background of Scott Sauls is because I think something he posted this week was really interesting in, in light of all he's gone through. And you wonder, okay, what's going on in his soul? What is he realizing about the church, about himself, about this? He tweeted this, uh, a quote from, of all people, Groucho Marx. Groucho Marx said, I refuse to join any club that would have me as a member. And then Sauls went on to say, thank you, Jesus, for lowering the, quote, member bar for us by becoming the bar and then becoming dismembered yourself for the sake of all who believe. Thank you, Jesus, for lowering the, quote, member bar for us by becoming the bar and then becoming dismembered yourself for the sake of all who believe. Let's start with the first quote, the Groucho Mark quote. I refuse to join any club that would have me as a member. I love that quote. Here's why. Oftentimes, take church, for example. We start to take the posture uh, of the older brother in the prodigal son story, where we say, um, I'm the gatekeeper. I should say that person should be in, that person should be out. And with that comes an arrogance that says, I deserve to be in. And we start looking for the quote-unquote perfect church or whatever else it might be. I love when people say things like, uh, if you're looking for the perfect church, you'll never find one. And if you do, you're going to ruin it. It's this idea that none of us are perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect church. And that on any level, that if we said, oh my gosh, this church wants to have me as a part of it, we should be kind of blown away by that fact, Groucho Marx, right? I want, I'd refuse to join a club that would have me as a member. That's an acknowledgement of his own kind of unworthiness and his own kind of fallenness in a humorous way. But then Saul's commentary is what I really want to talk about. Thank you, Jesus, for lowering the member bar for us. How did he lower the member bar? You might be thinking, well, that's a that's a big statement to make that he lowered the member bar. But Saul's goes on to say, by becoming the bar, Jesus is the bar to acceptance. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's not about what we've done. It's about what Jesus has done for us. So Saul's is 100% right to say the bar to entrance, in this case, entrance into uh, forgiveness, eternity, relationship with our Father, is not my own self-righteousness. It's not what have I accomplished. It's not what have I been able to do, but it is instead what has God done for me in Jesus Christ. It takes away our pride. It takes away our self-righteousness. It takes away looking at my life going, oh, this is all about me. And instead, it puts it on God. And it says, this is about who he is and what he has done for us. It doesn't mean that the bar's lowered in a sense of it cost less. Because the second part of his quote is then becoming dismembered yourself for the sake of all who believe. 
this lowering of the bar, if you will, this adoption into God's family, this offer of forgiveness and grace was bought at the highest price you can imagine through the, through the blood of Jesus, through his death and resurrection, that Jesus is the one who has made for us an entry into the family of God. It is not through our own righteousness, our own actions, our own religion. And so then the question becomes, how do we respond? Because again, take the prodigal son story. You've got the younger son who does not deserve to be let back into the family, but is shown grace, uh, extravagant grace. And then you have the older brother, the judgmental one, the religious one, the self-righteous one who says, how dare you let my younger brother back into the family? He doesn't clear the bar. He does not deserve this. And the, the scary thing about the prodigal son story is that for many of us who've grown up religious, we're much more like the older brother casting judgment upon other people's worthiness, not realizing that we also are not worthy of the love of our heavenly father. And the scary part of the prodigal son story is that at the end of the story, we know the younger brother is back in at the party. We don't know about the older brother. His father has invited him back in, but we don't never know whether he has gone back in or in his anger and judgment has said, no, I don't want anything to do with my older brother. How about you? Do you believe that you have earned your way? You have cleared the bar of, quote, membership into the family of God. Is it about you? Or do you realize no matter how long you've been in church, no matter how much you, you've read your Bible and you've done religious things and you've all of which are good things, but do you believe that those are in fact your entry way into God's family? Do you believe that about yourself? Older son, younger son, need of grace, not need of grace. What do you believe? Thank you, Jesus, for lowering the, quote, member bar for us by becoming the bar and then becoming dismembered yourself for the sake of all who believe. Friends, no matter how long you've become been a Christian, you still need the good news of God's grace, the good news of the gospel in your life. You need that. You never grow past the gospel. The gospel is not the start. The gospel is the start, the middle and the finish, it's all about Jesus. But then many of us who are religious and grown up in that way, we somewhere along the way, we take on self-righteousness that says, I deserve this. I deserve. I deserve. No. Thank God that we don't get what we deserve. But that Jesus has won the victory. Jesus provides the grace. Jesus has welcomed us back, and we can cling to that. Good word there from Scott Sauls. I would encourage you to wrestle with that. No matter if you're not a Christian, know that that's the bar. Jesus is the bar. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the good news. If you are a Christian, do you still believe that?
Is that still your hope in the good news? Well, I hope that you have a great night. I'm going to go celebrate my anniversary. So again, happy anniversary to my wife, Carrie. Excited to celebrate with her tonight. And I hope that you have a great night as well, whatever it is that you're doing. And join me again tomorrow from 4 until 6. We hope that you choose to do that. My name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.